we at Christ City, we're not a big church, but we attract a lot of different kinds of people on different parts of their journey with what they think and believe about this whole church thing and this whole God thing. But I think one thing that we would all be pretty close to agreement upon is that having a purpose in life is really valuable and important. That for life to feel meaningful, we want all to have purpose, to to believe that our life counts for something and that it matters. So what happens when the purpose that we're striving for becomes cumbersome or elusive? At best, maybe filling us with anxiety or despair. Maybe, maybe what many of us need and what many of us are looking for is a way not to fulfill the purpose that we think we have right now, but to reimagine what our purpose might be in this world. And I think here in the Beatitudes, Jesus gives us this passage that has been turned over and studied by people of every religion, by people who are not religious, um, by people who, of course, call themselves Christians, Protestants, and Catholics. And I think it's because there's a secret to finding purpose in life found in these Beatitudes. And so we're going to look at those today and see if we can find some guidance and some encouragement on what it might mean for us individually and for us as a church to reimagine our purpose. Now, the reason why we're talking about this this morning is because we're in the middle of a series, very exciting series for us as a church, where we are moving through our vision and our mission together. We're exploring those things together. So for many of you this morning, you'll hear things that you've, you've heard before, and that's good. Because you belong to our church, you are dedicated members or, and or partners, and um, you'll hear some things that are familiar this morning. So our vision of our church is to be a place to belong and a place to know God. And the vision, that's where we, we want to get to. That's what we want to be. And then our mission, how we get there, the road that we take is this, that We are becoming followers of Jesus who recover their lives, reimagine their purpose, and refresh their world. Last week, Robin shared with us about recovery of life and what that that might look like for us. And really, in order for us to adequately approach this idea of reimagining our purpose, we're going to have to dip back into that off and on as we explore what it means to reimagine our purpose this morning. A um, spiritual director and Catholic priest, uh, an expert on the Enneagram, Richard Rohr, said it this way. There's a quote on the screen. He says, when you get your who am I question right, all of your what should I do questions tend to take care of themselves. And so as we unpack this morning and explore together this idea of reimagining your purpose, we're going to talk about and ask three questions together. Those questions are, who is he? Uppercase H. 
Who are you and what should you do? So the reasoning is, if whatever we think about who God is, especially in the person of Jesus, is going to reflect back to us what we really think we are and who we are. And that then, in turn, is going to answer the question, what should I do? So we're going to explore those ideas together and see if we can find some encouragement, if we can find some clarity, if we can find some hope and courage to reimagine our purpose. And before we get fully started into that, I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all of the worship that has gone forth. You are an awesome and creative and expansive God. And we are thankful to be in your presence this morning. Lord, I pray that you would use my words to stir up our congregation, all of us here this morning, to know you better and to be able to know ourselves better and to know what our purpose is more and more in this world that you've placed us in. In Jesus' name, amen. So this first question uh, who is he? Who is Jesus? Um, I can't think about this idea and this question without my mind traveling quickly to a passage in Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to have those verses on the screen for you. Um, and essentially, this is, this is Jesus. He's putting, he's putting it forward to the disciples the disciples are chatting about who, who Jesus is and um, who he might be. And at this time, the disciples have been with Jesus for a while. They've sat under his teachings, and they've seen him perform mighty miracles. They've seen how he could move in between spaces of people of privilege, of people uh, who are destitute and on the margins, and love them and challenge them and everything in between. And so they are, of course, curious, who is this man? There's never been anyone known like him before. And so um, they, they say, oh, well, maybe some people are saying this and some people are saying that. And he asks, but who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter, who loves to speak up quickly, I can relate to him. Sometimes you put your foot in your mouth. A lot of times you put your foot in your mouth, but every once in a while you strike gold. So you shoot off eventually, maybe you'll hit the target, Right? If you take nothing else this morning, don't take that. <laughs> so Simon Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds to him and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. So Peter has come to this conclusion that Jesus is the son of God, that he is divine, that he is divinity. He is the God-man come down to earth, and he's hanging out with Peter. Wow, that's amazing. You know, later on in this passage, um, Jesus again predicts that he's going to be handed over to the authorities and crucified, and now newly named Peter here, he says, uh, 
no, Jesus, that can't happen to you, man. And Jesus is like, yo, dude, you need, you need to kick rocks. Get behind me, Satan. So right here, we see this amazing proclamation by Peter. But does he totally get who Jesus is at this point? Even though heaven gave him the intellectual and heart understanding of the title of who Jesus was, of where he came from, did he yet understand everything there was to know about this Jesus and the way that he operated and the way that he did things? What's the answer to that question? No, that's right. So we are all, we're singing this song, Jesus Be the Center, and it's amazing when we sing those songs for me. There's something deep in my core, in my soul, and I know that I'm connecting with Jesus, with divinity, with the Son of God, and yet I'm still learning who Jesus is. Isn't that interesting? And so in a moment, we go back to these Beatitudes. That's the type of mindset for those of us who are like, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. I call him Lord. I call him Savior. So who is he? Who is this man? That is a question for us to ask for the rest of our lives, to never be satisfied with the answer to. So some of us are like, okay, yeah, cool, whatever, Jamin. I ain't there, man. Like, Jesus, son of God, I'm just not there. Now I'm here this morning because I think that there might be something to this church thing. There, there might be some truth. I might be able to get some morals for my life or I might be able to raise my kids better if I'm here. And guess what? I think that's okay. I'm glad you're here because there's, there's more than one way to think about Jesus and to still take him seriously. In fact, if we look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, so the Beatitudes start in chapter five of Matthew and they work all the way to the end of chapter seven and Jesus ends his teachings, the Beatitudes, with a parable with a picture, a story. And he talks about that his teachings are like a house built on a rock. And that when the, when the storms and the waves and the winds come, you are steady and you are kept safe. But there's other people that build their house on the sand. And those are the people that don't listen to Jesus's teachings. And when the storms come and when the waves and the winds come, that house is destroyed. And he says, and great is its destruction. And after he finishes the teachings of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, um, here's the response of the people. I'm going to have this on the screen in uh, Matthew 7, 28 and 29. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So the group of people that were gathered listening here, they didn't know that Jesus was the son of God, but they knew that what he had to say carried some kind of special weight and authority that they had never, ever heard before. Even though... Um, I remember a story a, a, a seminary professor wrote about. Um, he was a, a Jewish a seminary professor, and he, 
he was studying the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount with his students. And one of his students rose his hand and he said, hey, um, Jesus, I could have written this. This was in the Old Testament. All these things that Jesus talked about were in the Old Testament. He was just taking different pieces and putting them together in this way. I could have written the Sermon on the Mount. I could have written the Beatitudes. And the Jewish seminary professor responded to him and said, if you had not read the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, you would never know that that type of teaching could even exist. And so there is a special weight to the teachings and the authority in Jesus's words. And I think that's, that's special in a couple of ways for us because some of us we fall into the category of, yes, we want Jesus to be the center. But maybe we haven't quite taken his teachings quite as seriously as we've taken the fact that he died for our sins. So important. It's, it's what gives us the confidence that we are reconciled with God. That is what the New Testament teaches us, that we are reconciled with God because Jesus died for our sins and that we can come to full confidence to God and, and talk to him and be with him and, and be in relationship with him. But if the most important thing that God has ever done is died, we're missing something. Because he's resurrected, he is alive, and his teachings are alive today. So, we need to take seriously what he taught. And those of us who say, well, maybe Jesus isn't the son of God, but he's a really good teacher. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've believed that. But if he's a really good teacher, then you should pay attention to what he's teaching and see where it might lead you. It might lead you to something you never imagined it might cause you to even reimagine some things. So who is this Jesus? Um, I, before this sermon, I interviewed uh, two of our, our very own, uh, Rachel Robinson. Will you raise your hand, Rachel? That was a big ask for Rachel. And Andrew Puccio. Will you raise your hand, Andrew? A little bit higher. <laughs> That's fine. And I asked them, two people that I saw were in the midst of reimagining their purpose. They're, they're in the midst of, reco they recovered so much of their life. And in turn, their purpose was starting to be reimagined in the world. And uh, I'm going to quote them different times throughout this sermon. In hindsight, I should have just spent my sermon time interviewing them. Um, but I didn't make, I'd, a shame, I didn't do it. Rachel said this about how she was seeing God in, in this time, and Jesus specifically. I'm seeing Jesus differently, how he lived among the social outcasts. He wasn't the Jesus I grew up with. This was tied to her conversation about the reimagining of her purpose. She also said, talked about this passage in Luke. She says there's this passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your might. 
And she said, I had always tried to love God with someone else's mind. The person who told me what he was like. It's scary to use my own mind. It's scary and it takes time. Who is Jesus to you? If you stopped asking that question, if you're sure you know who he is, he's just this really good, cute teddy bear teacher, or he died for my sins and that's all I need to know about him, we've got some reimagining to do. That's me. And I believe that's all of us today. And that's the first step. If we can keep asking the question, who is he? And so we're going to look back at these Beatitudes in a moment. And I'm going to tell you what I think some of them mean. How can you know that I'm right? How can you know that I have figured it out? Just this 34-year-old dude in Memphis. Oh, I'm 35. 35-year-old dude in Memphis that I've figured it out. That you can have full confidence in what I have to say about who Jesus is and what he meant by the Beatitudes. You can't. You can't. You'll have to use your own minds and your own hearts. And if you say, well, Jamin, it's not really up for interpretation. These things have already been figured out. Well, it's going to be hard for you to use your imagination. It's going to be hard for you to reimagine your purpose in the world because you're not letting your own mind and heart be used If you can live in this tension where I might have some things to say that you agree with and I might have some things that you need to wrestle with, you might actually be entering into what some of the Beatitudes are talking about, the type of person that they exemplify is someone who's not certain about everything. So, who is Jesus? What's the answer to that question? Lord, Savior, Teacher? All of those things, none of those things, you're going to have to decide for yourself. All I can tell you is who he was to me and share with you who he is to some of my friends. We've got to let our imaginations do some work here. So let's keep moving as we uncover and unpack this next question. Who is he? And the next question, who are you? Who are you? Let's go back to the Beatitudes. Verse 3, chapter 5. I was talking several years ago with a prominent local Christian leader uh, in, in the community. And at that time, I was leading a house church in Binghampton. And um, I, we were talking about what was going on. And I told him that I was about to start teaching through the Beatitudes. And uh, he said, ooh, the Beatitudes, those are, those are tough ones. And I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, well, like uh, the meek will inherit the earth, like trying to make myself meek, you know, and, and some of these other things are, are really tough commandments to follow. And I said, oh, commandments? I, I didn't read. I, I read them as him blessing uh, certain, certain states of being in, 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 in the world. And uh, so we had a conversation about it, and, and he was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I see where you're, where you're coming from. And you see how much his imagination informed what he thought Jesus was even saying at that time. Such an important thing that we have in front of us to be able to reimagine things. Let's look at, at how Jesus describes 
what a person who's able to do that type of thing could be. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those that are poor in spirit. As opposed to maybe blessed are those who are rich in spirit, who just foster a lot of competition with the people around them and annoy their acquaintances and act like everything's all good all the time. You're just rich in spirit. You just got it going on all the time. Every day, you never have a bad day. You don't have to worry about the next one. Blessed are those who mourn because you don't have bad days. You don't got nothing to mourn about. So you don't have to waste time with all them sad folks out there who are struggling with stuff. Hmm. Skip down. Verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In this passage, in this beatitude here, I think there's something about the heart of this question is, is who am I? Who are you? The pure, pure in heart. The, the word pure in the Greek and in the Hebrew, which Jesus probably spoke, um, it can be interpreted in different ways. One of the main ways is that, the, that purity is um, singleness and intention. That you have a strong desire to be honest. Like when Peter, he, he jumps and he speaks out, he's got purity in heart. Like there's no filter. He's not trying to like convince us of something about himself before he speaks. He just thinks it and boom, it pops out, right? That's an example of purity of heart. We've all had those types of moments where we're tragically misunderstood or we're really, we mean something so positive and so good. We have purity of heart in our intentions regardless of what happens around us and how people respond. And this verse says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Um, some of us we, we struggle with, and I'm one of them, uh, self, self-deception. We struggle with um, trying to imagine that these are like these beatitudes and these other things that are not commandments are commandments. And we try, we look at who we think God is. And Andrew at one point said, I, I thought God was a vindictive God, that things in my life, my circumstances weren't working out because I was wrong, because I didn't do it right. I wasn't the right kind of worship leader. He was a worship leader at Christ City, for those of you who are newer and didn't know that. And he was conflicted about that, thinking that God was punishing him because his life circumstances weren't really working out right. And he had to go on a journey to find out who was he? And it was scary. And it was difficult. The, one of the main words that came up over and over as I interviewed Rachel Andrews, this was really scary. And I didn't know what was going to happen next because they had to reimagine things. And so as, as Andrew went through this, as, as, he, as he talked about this with me, he realized that what he was doing, what his life was about wasn't true to the core of who he was. As he began to rediscover and, and reimagine what his purpose was, he realized that he was living with this God who expected these things out of him, all of these things that weren't necessarily 
what he understood on the pages, but he understood it through his experiences that God was punishing him, that he was doing something wrong because his circumstances didn't look the way that Christians and church had told him they would look if he was doing the right things, that he would be impacting people in this certain type of way. And most of us, if we're honest, our hearts are self-deceptive in some ways. We want to try to imagine that we are just like Paul or just like this amazing Christian person that we see from a distance. Or if my job was just this, then God would be pleased with my life. And so who we are becomes built up and becomes a reflection of what we think God thinks about us. And yet, when we look here at the Beatitudes, he's like, are you sad? Is there stuff not going right? Well, guess what? You're blessed. You're going to be comforted. I am going to meet you there. Once, once you're able to stop striving and pushing for everything to make sense and for God to just bless this life you're trying to live, this biblical manhood, this biblical womanhood, this adhering to the norms of culture of what Christianity has told you, once that fails you, once that house falls down, I'm going to be right there for you. I'm right there right now. You're just so busy relating to something else other than me. One of the things Rachel said is she said, I would ask God for things in my prayers, but I wouldn't realize that he was answering them. He, he was. I just was looking at something else. I, 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 didn't, I couldn't see it because I had this other idea of who he was, and so I had a different idea of who I was. I think I have, uh, no, yeah, not quotes from them, but from, from, from an author named James Baldwin about this sort of idea here that we find in the Beatitudes. James Baldwin says, you have to go the way your blood beats. He's a Harlem Renaissance uh, era, not Harlem Renaissance. He's a uh, 1950s uh, through 80s novelist, writer. So this is how he says it. He says, you have to go the way your blood beats. If you don't live the only life you have, you won't live some other life. You won't live any life at all. When, when we see these, when we look at these beatitudes, Jesus is giving us permission to be a human being, to be able to cry, to be able to say, this ain't working out. I know God is good, but I don't get it right now. It's not working out. Jesus says, you're blessed. I'm right in there with you. Uh, when Rachel talked about this time and we were talking about it, she was looking for words. I said, can you put it in a metaphor? Since it's hard to kind of just explain it. She said, yeah, it was like, it was like I had this house and it represented kind of what, what, what I'd lived in with my Christianity and the house burned down. And I was sitting there in a burned down house and there were people who were Christians who were saying I was backsliding, who were talking about me behind my back and who were giving me empty platitudes. But there were other people that were listening 
There were other people that were caring for me in this time, just realizing that I was in this state right here. I was in this blessed state. And so I was able to begin reimagining, what does my relationship with God look like? What does my relationship to Jesus look like? Who is he? Who then am I? If these are blessed ways to be, then you can be human. You can accept life on life's terms. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to win the day. And guess what? You don't have to wait for God to use you because he's right here in the midst of all this ordinary stuff. Who you are is plenty for God to be in relationship with. You don't have to make it somewhere, some way else. James Baldwin says this about this idea of kind of making it, forcing it. He says, people who believe that they are strong-willed and masters of their destiny can only continue to believe this by becoming specialists in self-deception. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will know God. When we can finally get to that place where I thought I was going to make it work out. I thought I was going to be this certain kind of person. I thought I was going to be respected by everybody in these ways. I thought I was going to be married to this kind of person and have this kind of job or be this kind of uh, daughter or son, and it's not working out. And I'm just going to, like, let it happen and look for God in that instead of imagining he's only waiting on the other side of that or he's like as... Andrew said, he's, he's like Zeus. Andrew said, I had to stop worshiping Zeus. Y'all know who Zeus is? He's a Greek god, the most powerful of all the Greek gods, and he sat, sits up in a cloud, and he holds lightning in his hands, and he goes, whack, he whacks you with lightning if you don't give him the right stuff. So he had to stop worshiping this guy, this guy Zeus, so he could reimagine who he was and what his life could look like, what was possible Richard Rohr, who I mentioned earlier, there's a quote in your bulletin. He says it this way. He says, wrong page. Most people confuse their life situation with their actual life. Their life situation with their actual life, which is an underlying flow beneath the everyday events. See, for me, I spent, I spent a long time trying to keep the, the flows of my life separate into these separate little streams and managing them and keeping them in these little boxes. I wouldn't have said that at the time. I would have said God is good all the time. But once I couldn't keep that up anymore, the streams started coming together, all of them, into a roaring stream where God was meeting me there, regardless of my circumstances. Sometimes my circumstances suck. So bad. But sometimes I find that that is the easiest time when I can see God because I'm not raging against those circumstances quite as much anymore. That he's there. And I can think, well, then what is my purpose? If these are blessed states of being, then what's my purpose? So, After Jesus talks through these, these beatitudes, uh, in verse 13, he says to the people there, he says, you are the salt of the earth and the light 
of the world. Right after he just blessed the things that the world would call pretty miserable states of being, persecuted, oh, you got to be the peacemaker. You can't go win and fight and make it happen your way. You got to have, you got to mourn. You got to be sad. You got to be poor. He says to those people, those blessed, blessed people, it's you. You're what the world needs. You're the salt. You're the light. You don't got to be something else. It's what you are. I want to meet you right there in your humanity. Jesus didn't, he didn't come to make human beings into something different. He came to recover what we lost, our humanity, our neediness for God, our neediness for each other. I was with a couple of friends and I was having a hard time with some things. Uh, it was on Monday. And um, it got to this point where I was just being asked uh, these questions about um, why, I, why I respond to, to certain criticisms or things the way I do. And I start talking about uh, my childhood, and I start talking about all these things. That was the last thing that I wanted to talk about, the very last thing. I said, I don't know if I can do this right now, God. It hurts so bad. And I'm sitting here sharing these things, these beatitudes, and the response of my friends, it shocked me. And it, I probably always will. They're like, man, Jamin, I like you so much, but when you can open up like that, it's just like another, it's like a, a, a deeper level of friend. Like, I just feel like I'm, I'm with you and I want to follow you and all these times. And I'm like, that, is, that just doesn't make sense to me. I feel terrible. I feel totally ashamed. And yet, that is consistent with the teachings of Jesus. So we have to reimagine our purpose. We have to reimagine who is Jesus? What is he asking of you? Is it what your Sunday school class taught you all the way growing up, people trying to manage you and manage God? Or is he something bigger than that? Is he something more expansive that can't be fit into a formula? Is he a person who wants to be with another person? Because that, that can begin to reimagine your purpose. Sure, you can do it before you get to that point. You could do it right now with your self-will and all those things that you think are, are really good stuff. But you'll probably just end up back at the beginning again trying to recover your life. And even if you do, you're probably going to end back up there having to recover your life again anyways. You're going to kind of have to come back to Jesus and let him scoop you up again and help you to recover what, the, what your life you feel like is taking away from you. And so who is Jesus? We've got to keep asking ourselves that question. Keep learning, what does he mean by these things in the Beatitudes? Because whatever we see him as, that's going to shape who we are. And that's going to affect our ability to imagine what our life, what the possibilities and the purposes of our life could be. As I close, I'm going to share this quote from Andrew. He said, I was ready at this time when he was just in the middle of deciding if he's going to recover his life or not. I mean, reimagine his purpose. He said, I was ready to lay it down. If it cost me my Christian life, I was willing to lay it down. 
I had no assurance on the front end. I couldn't tell my wife, my family, or my dog that we would be okay. This is somebody who is asking, who is Jesus? Realizing who they are more and more, and that Jesus must like who I am. That's not just my, that's just not me talking. That's in the Bible right here in the Beatitudes. So maybe, maybe what he has for me, even if it doesn't fit the box, is a good, wonderful thing. It's salt and light for the world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you meet us in our humanity, that there's room for us to recover the lives that have been beaten out of us in you, and that you meet us there. And I pray that you would give us the courage to start that journey or continue that journey so that we can reimagine our purpose and more and more, spend more and more of our time being salt and light in the world because we allow you to meet us in our humanity. Pray blessings on these people and their fears and their concerns and their hopes. I pray that they would be open to you meeting them exactly where they are in those things. Pray that I would. In Jesus' name, amen.